Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today we're here, well, we're going to be here in a minute, you'll see, with Kevin Kelly, who is the founding editor of Wired. He describes himself as the senior maverick of Wired. Fun fact about JH and I, these, you know, these personality tests you do at work, we did one of those, and it plots you on a thing and gives you, you know, uh, a name, and we both got mavericks. So we've got three mavericks here, um, but maybe we're, you know, Junior Mavericks, Mavericks in training. So this should be a fun one. No rules. Yes. And uh, I think everyone knows the name of the podcast is Awkward Silences. Today, we'll have a bit of an awkward transition. Unfortunately, we did lose the first couple minutes of our recording with Kevin um, somehow, which was a bit of a bummer. But as Aaron kind of called out, it was a really special guest for us to get on. It was really cool to read an advanced copy of his book. I think we both had a lot of great takeaways from it. So uh, the majority of the conversation is still here. We'll jump right into it, but we are going to just kind of recap a little bit of, of how we kicked the conversation off to provide some context, and then we'll jump right in with Kevin. Sweet. Yeah. So from awkward silences to awkward transitions, we'll get there. But the, the name of the book is Excellent Advice for Living, and it's a great sort of like coffee table book to revisit over the years, full of what it sounds like, excellent advice for living for someone who has done some living himself. You know, there's general advice about life, of course, but a lot of it is actually really applicable to research, to careers, um, to integrating your life and your career. So basically, we went through and we chatted about uh, all of those things. Yeah, totally. So we highlighted our favorite passages and we pulled them out and we spoke to Kevin about them to get some more context about where they came from and how he thinks about them. And then the first one that uh, we started discussing is the one we lost. So Aaron, you want to just recap that? And we'll yeah, yeah, sure. So um, the rule of seven in research, which is you can find out anything if you're willing to go through seven levels. So uh, he describes it as if the first source you ask for information doesn't know, you can ask them who you should ask next. This also applies to sales. You say, oh, can you refer me to the right person to talk to? But if you're willing to go to the seventh source, you'll always get your answer. So that was the first one we kind of chatted about. Yeah, I think we both like this one just because, you know, you hear about the five whys all the time in user research. Um, and this was just kind of like a nice twist on it. It's not just, you know, asking why. It's also find the source and keep finding the next mm -hmm. source and, and kind of really get to the person who's going to be an expert on it or, you know, the original material that will give you some new insights. So I thought that was a cool way to, to kind of kick off the conversation. Yeah. So that's kind of the main sort of thing you missed. And we're going to our editors here. You know, we always say we'll fix it in post, but this episode truly was a fix it in post. So we're going to transition into the bulk of the episode where Kevin is back. And it should be a good one, a little departure from the usual scheduled programming, but a fun one that we hope you enjoy. Yeah, enjoy it. Uh, really cool guy to have on as a guest and uh, been a big fan of his for a long time. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. We're back here with Kevin Kelly. So excited to have you here. And um, Jade, you were just saying um, that you were something about fail failing. Can you start where you left off? Yeah. So um, I've, I've seen this one, I think, in a newsletter or Twitter somewhere from you, but um if it fails where you thought it would fail, that is yeah. not a failure. And I was curious just how you think about this one, because um, something we do on the product side often is we, when we experiment, right, is we try to think of the risks and assumptions and um, how it might win, how it might lose. And, uh, you know, you, you are trying to predict maybe how it doesn't work in your favor. And um, just curious, like, why is that not a failure in your eyes? And, and kind of what does this one mean if you could unpack it a little? Yes. So, so, so um, it's sort of like there's two kind of problems in the world in general. Tractable and intractable. So the tractable are problems that we know that we have, and we actually kind of know what the solutions are. And, um, and then there's problems that we 
you know, we have, but we don't even know how, how they're solved. And so the, the tactical problems are a class one kind of a problem. I think failures are kind of the same way. If there's a, you know, if there's a known failure mode, then that's a different class than the unknown failure mode, because you, um, in theory, you might have some idea how you can fix the known failure mode, you know, kind of it, like, you know, well, I just had an unknown failure mode. <laughs> but the other one, the failure mode where the sound doesn't work, okay, that's kind of known. That's not a failure. That's like an interruption or whatever. And so yep, yep. we'll have to work around that. And so um, the, the real the real place to put your energies is into the the, the unknown failures, the hmm. two kind of failures where they're unexpected, they're new, they're different. You don't know how to solve them. Yeah. And for that, do you recommend sort of trying to anticipate those ahead of time or rather learn from them as they inevitably happen? Well, there's different ways of anticipating. You, I don't know if you can predict them, but you can have a backup. You can have you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. plan B. You can have redundancies. You can... Um, have your troubleshooting system in place. So there are ways to kind of work with that, but I, I don't think they're necessarily there. I think they're inherently unpredictable, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you can still be, I would say prepared for them. Yeah. Nice. Uh, you had another one here that to me is almost sort of the essence of user research in a way, uh, which is, you can reduce the annoyance of someone's stupid belief by increasing your understanding of why they believe it. Yeah. I love this. I think this has served me pretty well when I can remember it in life. Right. And it's very allied allied with another one, which is that um, you can't reason someone out of an opinion that they didn't reason themselves into. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Right. And so what, what that means is that, you know, you're, People have opinions for emotional reasons, things that they inherit, cultural reasons, all kinds of stuff. And you sort of want to operate at that level. And that's mm-hmm. operating at that level, even just having a discussion, is far more likely to change their mind than operating at the intellectual, logical level, because that's not where it was formed. And so, um, yeah, so, so, you know, empathy and things like that are actually as effective in changing people's minds as logic maybe more so. Yeah, hundred percent. And you see this in product teams a lot where, but this is so easy to use, right? Yeah. <laughs> that open-mindedness of why might it not be, you know, why, what might they believe about how this is supposed to work? It's not right or wrong, but um, it's just uh, useful to have that frame. Uh, yeah. yeah and, like, and with new things in particular, new things have, um, there is a, they have some points against them or, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of, there's some strikes against them from the beginning. Um, but often, often what we need to do is kind of forget. We, mm. There's a, there's a certain amount of forgetting that we need to do to learn something new. We have to kind of forget how the old way works, forget our assumptions. And that's not easy to forget because we see something and we immediately associate it with all the things that we know and we project onto it all kinds of assumptions which may or may not be true. Sometimes they are, but sometimes they aren't. And and it's kind of like we're having to educate ourselves that this is something different. They may work differently. They may have different assumptions. And so there's a benefit in couching things that are familiar to us, similar to what we know, 
And there's also a danger in that, in that sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you're also mm -hmm. going to get all the other things that we assume about it. And um, I think a little bit is happening with AI right now of kind of unlearning things that we know yep. other technologies and trying to forget them in some ways to then approach it on, on its own terms. Yeah, that, that's actually a good segue to another one I had flagged in here of um, about the need to question your beliefs harshly because you yeah. probably don't believe what you think you believe. Right. Um, and it seems like, uh, I'm curious, how, how do you do that for yourself? Like, I, I agree with this on the surface, but it seems like a hard thing to actually do. It is. And, 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 and part of it is, this goes back to kind of like the very first one piece of advice in the book, which I probably just read cause I, it's easier to remember. <laughs> That's why I listen. Um, which is that, um, uh, learn how to learn from those who you disagree with or even offend you, you know, it's, it's because, I, 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 I try to listen to other people whose opinion I don't agree with, always, you know, reminding myself that um, I may be wrong about something. And um, I don't do it on a daily basis, but every now and then I'll come back and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to hear what that other side is and keep up with it because they're, they're you know, I am for certain wrong about a lot of things and, and I, I like to not be wrong and um i'm testing myself by looking into those things that disagree with on a kind of a basis like you know looking at publications that i think are have have an incorrect uh, view of the world but nonetheless I'm sure there's parts of it that are true and I want to hear what that is. And so that one thing of looking at outside my bubble, looking at things that disagree with, that's one, that's one way. The second way is to, um, to try to, to explain my beliefs. And, and, and this is where, you know, this is where it gets hard because I find whenever I try to write something, I immediately, encounter my own ignorance hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I write in order to figure out what I think hmm. and there are lots of things I think I know and believe but if I have to write them down to really explain them or then I realize hmm, I actually don't um, right. know about this I, I and maybe I am maybe I don't believe it and yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. the the, the thing when I'm writing with the question I ask all the time, and I think this is another bit of advice is, you know, to be interesting, just be really, really honest in, in your story mm. is, is I ask myself when I'm writing something, do I really believe this sentence or is it just because it sounds good or sounds like something <laughs> that I've heard? Do I really, mm. is this really my sentence? And that mm. kind of, questioning things uh, even at the sentence level i find also useful um when you know again trying to not believe everything i think i believe and so um so so that's the second one is just kind of to explaining it, it, it to, yeah. to people is where that shows up it feels like it's you can kind of to play it back it's like you can take an external stimulus and, and bring it in and question your beliefs that way right. or you can take an internal thought and try to externalize it and you'll kind of question yourself that way as well right, right. so there's a couple, couple yeah. different ways you can do it having kids is really good for this by the way because yeah. they ask you why about absolutely everything that's right um, 
Yeah, yeah. And, things I can't way, there, there is, that reminds me of another piece of advice in the book, which is um, when your kids are asking you this endless perpetual series mm-hmm. of lies, mm-hmm. is is you can turn it off by asking them, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, like and their <laughs> their answer will be more interesting than the one you would have given. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my kid the other day was asking me about where where wind comes from, and I was like, I actually don't know where wind <laughs> comes from. I should probably figure that out. That's an issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, do we believe in God? I don't know. What is going on with this wind situation? Can of worms. <laughs> um, well, so on that note, you, you said, you know, kind of checking each of uh, your sentences. Do I really believe this? I know it's hard to pick your favorites, but do you have one from the book that is sort of the one you oh, most believe? Actually, so let me think about like other kind of research oriented ones um, or... I don't know if this is pertinent, but this is true. When someone tells you that something is wrong, they're usually right. But when they tell you how to fix it, they're usually wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. That's super germane. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, I think that's, there's a, a lot of versions of that you hear in, in the product world. For oh, sure. yeah. Well, what's the version of that that you might hear? I just, uh, that, that users and your customers are very good at explaining their pain points yeah. and the problems they're facing. They're very bad at usually telling you what solutions that right, you right, should right. build, right? So if you're asking them what features they'd like to see in your product, you're probably right. going to get misdirected. If you're trying to actually understand, you know, what they need help with, then you can kind of come up with a good way right. to solve it. Is uh, yeah, um, and and that's because it's much easier to 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 understand and see how things get broke and don't work than it is to imagine what the solution is, how totally. things work. Um, so this is something I learned from from many, 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 many scenario uh, workshops and things that we did. When brainstorming or improvising or jamming with others, you'll go much further and deeper if you build upon each contribution with the playful yes and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instead of the deflating no but. Yeah. And um, that's really important when you're in the creative mode of trying to um, start something you want to have you want to do yes and yes and yes and um, and you wanted to to separate that other judgmental and necessary phase of evaluation of um, no no it doesn't you know the crucial editing so I, I talk about separating that process of the creative genesis from the editorial judgmental and you have to keep the editor away f- from the 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 genius and of the genesis of the creation itself you need to protect that and um that's part of what happens in brainstorming you want to protect that genesis the generosity the 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 unjudgmental portion of it and then you need the judgmental later on but that's the second phase right yeah yeah i think you have one in there that's specifically about that right about separating the process of creating from improving right um, because you need to be able to just get stuff out at some point before you edit exactly yeah. Um, and then then there's also something like about prototyping your life instead of having grand mm-hmm. plans, which uh, I, that's something that I came to very late in life and a long time before I could kind of absorb the necessity of um, prototyping things. And now it, now it, and now it's a habit. So that this 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 book, I made a prototype uh, mm. oh, cool. with a bound book that um actually had drawings in it originally and um, just to see about the format to see if it worked to help sell it to make, make sure that it was working to check out the design and that all the books I do I make prototype versions of them as I go along 
And that's true for things that I build. When we do kitchen remodels, I make a full-scale cardboard prototype of calendars mm -hmm. and everything just to I mean, just learn so much by doing prototypes. And the prototypes can exist to the point of like a rough draft of a story or a book where you actually are going to make something complete and then throw it away. You're, you're, you're going to, as they say in the building world, make one to throw away. You're, you're, and that, that's not a sign of amateurism. That's actually a sign of professionalism. Mm -hmm. That's how professionals do it. The professionals yeah, yeah. write something knowing that whatever they complete is, is, is not going to be used. It's going to be um, exceeded and, su and superseded by the next version. This was just a draft. And um, when I was beginning, the idea of kind of making something all the way and finishing it was like, that was enough. The idea of redoing it again was like, <laughs> was like that's, that was a kind of failure to me. But now I see, no, no, that's, this, is, this is the essential process yeah. of what you want to do. Yeah. So many of our um, customers deal in digital prototypes. Right. Um, it's refreshing to hear about your um, in real life paper. You can touch them prototypes. Right. So, when you showed the the first book, did you actually get people to interact with it and get their feedback, or what did oh, yeah. you do with it? Yeah. yeah well, there there's a, a few of them, and, and they're now um, collector items. But yeah, I, I sent them around for <laughs> some cool. feedback, um, and I did a big book of of Asian photographs, fifty years of photography in Asia. It's a huge book, and I made a prototype of that book, and I learned that it was just too big. It, it was physically mm -hmm. too big to sit on your lap. And so I, mm. the consequence of that, I did a earlier version, a smaller version, and then I went bigger, another prototype. And the consequence of that was I divided the book into three volumes, just to be able to hold it. So, so oh, cool. that was that. That's what I learned from doing that, because otherwise it would have been um, a, kind of like a disaster if it had been a, one volume. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you can, and in life too, you can like prototype experiences yeah. as well, right? If you're obsessed Absolutely. with a tiny house or something, you don't have to do, you can just go live in one for a few weeks and see if you like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, rent something, uh, that, and that's a, a thing. And also, um, like, you know, the advice for people like starting a business is, well, don't quit your day job. You know, you can prototype it. Um, mm -hmm. thing on the side hustle, um, try it for, you know, some set of period of time. So I'm gonna, even if it's full time, I'm going to try this for six months or five months, whatever, see if it works. So rather than commit to it as, as a lifelong thing, you can, again, prototype experiences, prototype businesses, prototype uh, all kinds of things. And that that kind of iterative um, approach, I think, is really valuable for whatever it is that you're doing. Totally. I, um, I know you talked about, you know, which of these are germane to user research when uh, when I was reading it and prepping for this I think we probably highlighted like half the book, so I would encourage people to, to check it out. Um, I know there's a couple in here that Aaron, you had flagged as more like general career advice type things um, that I think knowing you probably resonate quite a bit. So I don't know if you want to jump on a few of those just to hit some other areas. Yeah, there's so many good ones. Um, here's one that jumped out. Let's see. If you desperately need a job, you're just another problem for a boss. If you can solve many of the problems the boss has right now, you're hired. To yeah. be hired, think like your boss. Exactly. Yeah, that kind of flipping, or thinking like your boss is just really useful um, perspective. If if you're working for a company, is pretend you're an owner, and mm -hmm. um, figure out what needs, what what are the problems? To anticipate problems that need to be solved. Um, mm -hmm. The star employer is employees, people who are kind of 
figuring out what's going to be the next problem what, rather than waiting to be told. So I think mm-hmm. um, even in, again, even in hiring, if you understand that, that um, and it's, this is really hard for people looking for a job to understand that, that, that so many employers are just desperate, desperate for really great employees. They're just, yeah. they're, they're, they're really, really looking for them. Um, and if you can come to them and basically say, look, I can solve your problems. I know what your problems are and I can solve your problems. Like you're hired. Okay. And you can, and you can just ask too. I love when people ask this in interviews, like, what can I take off your plate? What are, what's stressing you out? It's like, oh my gosh. Yes. I Let's talk about problems. it. If you can solve your problems, yep. yeah, you're hired. And so, um, yep. you have to kind of think like, well, what are the problems that they may have that I might be able to solve? And, and that's, that mm-hmm. flip is, I think is really essential in terms of working in the corporate work world. Yep. Um, yep. I don't know if you're going to yep. mention this one, but one of my favorite pieces of advice to 20 year olds is there's two bits. One is um, if you are able to, if you have enough resources, if you are privileged enough basically to take a chunk of time, like a year or more maybe, and um, do things that look nothing like success. They're mm. pretty crazy. Um They'll be um, odd, off kilter, unproductive, unprofitable, um, a waste of time, um, kinky, um, <laughs> weird, um, unbelievable, stupid, dangerous, and no obvious why. Just... No obvious, no obvious, nothing that looks like success, and that. Yeah experience will become the touchstone for most of your life um, mm. and even success later on. And, and it's not, not the opposite of prototyping, but it's sort of uh, just collecting lots of inputs, right? And seeing... Um, well, you could be doing things. Right? You, you could be a project. But the idea is, is that I think what it helps you do is what we want people and, 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 and those that are most successful have done this is, is, is kind of make your own definition of success, mm-hmm. right? So, so you want to define success in your own way. And, and, and this helps you because you, um, it, when you're young, you're most likely to define your success by other people around you. You're basically going to be extras in their movies instead of being the main character in your own movie. And so, um, this gives you a chance to kind of duck out of that definition of success because, um, and, and, and it real generally will help your success because it's going to be more you. It's going to allow you to not just be the best, but be the only to, 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 to kind of pursue something that's different than everybody else. Because to, to kind of do this improbable thing, you kind of have to become more improbable yourself. And so that, that tends to favor uh, a, a different, unique path. Because if normally, when we think of success, you're 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 thinking of what people have already succeeded at, and you're tending to follow that, and that's already occupied by those people. It's they've already yeah. someone's already sitting in that slot. You want to go where there aren't any slots, and that's the second piece of advice that's related to that, which is at all possible, work on something that doesn't have a name for what it is that you do. Yeah. Someone gave me the advice when I was younger that the worst thing you can do is race to the top of the wrong ladder, yeah. right? 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah. open open your world to other ladders before you start right. racing to the top of one. Right. Yeah. So so if you're working on something that no, no one has names for what it is or language, then you're more likely one to be at the place where the breakthroughs are happening. Two, you're going to be somewhere where there isn't much competition. And three, you're more likely to be able to land somewhere that's uh, more distinctly you, mm-hmm. your own ladder. And so, um, and so, you know, if maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you, somebody might say, well, I'm doing something that's kind of like radio, but it's, or like, it's like a documentary and audio, but it's kind of like doing interviews on TV, but it's not <laughs> podcasting. Right? And, and right. So it would take a long time to explain to your mother what it is that you're doing. And that's a good sign. <laughs> I like that as a rule of thumb. <laughs> Explain to your parents, you're, you're probably on the right track. Right. Nice. Um, one, one you had in here that I really liked was um, half the skill of being educated is learning what you can ignore. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, for researchers in general, a lot of what they do is go out and generate a ton of data and a lot of noise. You're doing yeah. these long interviews. You have all these transcripts and stuff. Are there any uh, skills or, or tricks for how you actually, you know, do that? Find, you know. Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. Let me think about that. Um, because I do, I, you know, when I write articles, I generate huge amounts of, um, mm-hmm. uh, what they used to call tape, huge amounts of transcripts, uh, from interviews. And I would say, you know, 98% of the time I don't use anything from it. <laughs> um, I'm looking for just this one or two little unexpected phrase so um is there a way no i mean i guess the only thing i would say is that you should absolutely feel free or maybe even compelled to 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 disregard most of it to to not even try and um process it but um what's what's the other trick on that oh my gosh yeah um my nest fire alarms are going off i'm not sure what that's about it's about technology having fun with us. <laughs> At least I haven't been interrupted by my. Um, I won't even. I won't say her name. <laughs> she's. Right oh, here. I know. I know her name. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> she's right here. And sometimes she's just all. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, like it's not Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, how do how do you filter out that noise? Um, well, you know. The, the, maybe the one thing I have learned over time is, is is trying to trying to direct the conversations and things so that I'm actually not. It's kind of like forcing more signal, mm-hmm. not even like trying to kind of cut it off at the source. It's like okay, no, no, yeah, no, like no. as like, you're gathering, as I'm gathering, so not to not gather it to begin with, and to like <laughs> interrupt or steer the conversation or. Part of, part of the point of asking questions that they haven't been asked before is that you can get more honest answers and things like that. So um, so that would be one trick. But if, if you have a bunch of it, um, yeah, I don't know other than to say, you know, maybe, you know, you should expect that you're going to throw away 98% of it without even touching it. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's freeing, right? Like letting people yeah. know that it's okay to discard stuff uh, right. as you're going back through it. That reminds me of a, a sort of similar one, which is shorten your to-do list by asking yourself, what is the worst that will happen yeah. 
if this does not get done, eliminate all but the disasters, which is another really freeing concept. Like what really matters here and what is just on a list I've I've decided that I arbitrarily like need to do all of these things. Well, well, this actually maybe goes back a little bit to the data thing, which is like, um, um, what is the essential data? How much data can I throw away and not have it affect things? And or it's like it's mm-hmm. a, a graph. What's the minimum number of points they can put on the graph, not the maximum? Mm-hmm. What, what's the, mm-hmm. you know, it's like what's the minimum amount of information I need to convey that can convey it. It's not like I'm trying to say everything I know, put it all into it. It's like, no, it's like, what's the, what's the littlest amount that I can communicate to get the idea across. And that is another, um, that kind of minimalist approach, Yeah. which is to say, you know, this is, that was a genius of Twitter in the beginning was like, you know, it was 120, 140 characters. Like you can say an awful lot. In that mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it was fun. that goes to kind of Jeff you know, Jeff Bezos is this six page memos, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know powerpoints. So I think I think there, there you could do things like um, that kind of editorial constriction of you have you know whatever three slides, no more than three slides. I'm making something up, but you know whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you have to fit it in, and so you are trying to. Um, force some of that arbitrage uh, in triage excuse me the triage yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there's um it, it reminds me of that uh the drucker quote of there's nothing so useless as doing efficiently which should not be done at all it's kind right. of that sort of thing it's yep. it's like productivity for the sake of productivity is not always a, a great thing in fact there is a i don't know if it's an addition you have because we did do some changes to it but um there's this idea that um rather than try and focus on your day to minimize the amount of time you spend on different tasks, you want to change it to you can pick tasks that you can that you want to spend as much time on as possible. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is what you know, which is what I'm trying to do. It's like I don't necessarily want to care about minimizing time on tasks. I want to have tasks where I just want to keep going forever. Yeah, hundred percent. Can um can I do a, a, a random fun personal one real quick? Because uh, this is one I, I I'm concerned about. Is uh, there's one in here about uh avoid wearing a hat that has more character than you do. So, uh, <laughs> I have a tendency to acquire weird hats when I travel. And I'm, I'm worried that I might be guilty of this one. We'll put that in the show notes. I know of one of those. That's right. <laughs> yes. How do I know if a hat has more character than I do? <laughs> you know. Uh, you know. I think people might tell you. Yeah, if you have, it's one of those if you have to ask you're probably already in danger like of it that. I suppose yeah if the conversation is about your hat then okay it's probably <laughs> not about you I'll be on the lookout for this one so, I was going to go a totally different direction JH which is um, I, I love this one Just you know you talk a lot about sort of minimalism and essentialism and yeah. really focusing on on this which is what matters experiences are fun and having influence is rewarding but only mattering makes us happy do stuff that matters yeah and that's sort of, yeah. again a high bar. It's a very high bar to to do that. And people have different definitions of what matters, which is fine and good. Mm-hmm. But you really kind of want to focus on making that difference. And that's actually, I mean, after all, why we're here in mm-hmm. our bodies, mm-hmm. rather than kind of in a VR intangible world, because bodies have impact. They have consequences. The physical is real, and it bites back, and it hurts us, and so this 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 brief ride we have in in our flesh is because this has the ultimate impact and mattering. It can matter 
what we do and matters what we do. So that's, that's really, um, I think, um, our focus, if, if we can get there and it, um, I think, you know, it's just not a matter of experiences are better than, than acquisitions, than possessions. I guess it's kind of like a hierarchy. I've never thought about that. Maybe it's a little chart. Okay. So there's, there's, you know, there's like a, there's like possessions at the bottom and then there's experiences and then there's maybe influence. And then there's the top is this sort of as you know, Maslow's hierarchy of, um, mm-hmm. of, of mattering mm-hmm. purpose, purpose, self-actualization. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it, but it's purpose is mattering and purpose. Right. And if you have an idea of, um, kind of what your purpose is, then that is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And I like to think, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's the journey, not the destination that made it right. into the book, but that idea of that's, that is sort of why we're here is to right. figure that out, you know, exactly. on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, there is a paradox. There is a paradox in that the, um, your, our purpose is not a destination. It's more of a direction. As you say, it's a journey. It's never done. I know people who are incredibly famous, incredibly accomplished and great, you know, billionaires and beyond, and they're still figuring it out. I mean, a billion dollars does not answer the question of what you should do next Mm -hmm. and um, how you should become and what your journey is. And and a lot of them are asking the same question of what am I going to do when I grow up? You know, it's like, um, and actually having a billion dollars at that point or many billions is incredibly distracting, warping, uh, a burden. Um, it kind of, um, saddles them with another job. I mean, it's, 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 it's imprisoning. It's quite the opposite of what we think. It's like fame. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. one of the bits of advice is you really don't want to be famous. In, in the really famous yeah, but fame doesn't seem that fun and and having a billion dollars is and so my advice to everybody listening is try as you will do not earn a billion dollars okay <laughs> work on it. work on not earning yeah. okay yeah a couple hundred million whatever it is okay that's fine but you don't yeah. want a billion yeah. because yeah. it is um, yeah. really bad for your kids and yep. um so yeah, so so um, if you can all avoid it, don't earn a billion dollars. Yeah, crushing that one right now. Yeah. <laughs> Doing so well. <laughs> Did you want to finish with one of these Luke questions, Change, or where should we where should we wrap things up? Um, yeah, yeah, we uh, somebody on my team uh, mentioned you we were talking to you as a big fan of yours and, and threw a couple questions over. So yeah, let me grab one here. Um, he actually, uh, it is um, at his previous job, the inevitable was required reading for all their new hires. Mm, wow! Um, and he was just curious if uh, if you would update any of the twelve forces in the book based on things over the last few years. Really great question. Really great question. Um, Thank you, Luke. I, um, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but probably not. Um, <laughs> Uh, I like having my mind change and changing my mind, but I don't think there was nothing there that I thought needed to shift. There were things that I didn't get to talk about, but that's, you know, that's not really that important. Um, You know, those gerunds, the principles, those kind of forces, I think are still working. 
Um, no, I, I, um, I'm pretty happy and I would, and I would be glad, well, I'm glad that it's still being print in print and people are reading it. Um, so, uh, in this case, no, I haven't changed my mind about anything. Cool. That's good to hear. What's your, what's your next project? Or... So I'm working on, um, a hundred year desirable future. I'm working, I, 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 again, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm temperamentally optimistic, <laughs> trusting. And by the way, that's a piece of advice is that, um, uh, you should assume and trust that people are their best themselves. And if you occasionally get cheated because of that, that's a small tax to pay mm -hmm. for the huge benefit that you have of people treating you their the best they can because you treat them their best. So, um, so that's my, my nature. I'm optimistic like that, but actually I have been, you can teach and learn optimism and I am teaching myself to be even more optimistic as I get older. And, um, part of that is, I believe, I truly believe in my version of protopia, which is not utopia. It's a incremental improvement that has lots of new problems, but it's tiny, tiny bit better than it was last year. So tiny, we can only see it in retrospect over, over, mm. over accumulating over years, but that v vision of the future, it would help us to make a future that we wanted if we could see it and believe that it was possible. And I'm trying to describe a possible future that's full of high-tech AI, you know, VR, genetic engineering, monitoring all this stuff. And, it, and it's the world that I want to live in. Because mm. most of those worlds are, are, that are described in the future are from Hollywood and they're dystopias. They're, yeah, we don't want to live in. And I think that doesn't, that's not really helpful. I mean, it's fine. It's good stories, great stories. But it's not um, it's not going to help us make them and so uh, make the good version. So, so I'm trying to work on a hundred year desirable future that um, uh, would have you know, ten year increments on the way there that might be a world to 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 conjure with to to play with. It's not really a prediction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not. I don't necessarily think that we're going to go that way, but it's more of like what they call normative scenario is something that we could aim for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's awesome. I like, I like that vision version of the world. Um, yeah. I don't know. I am trying to figure out how to wrap this up. I, I, I feel like this is one of those books that having in the physical form would be really cool. Just yeah. like be able to flip through and see it. Um, I'm, I'm usually a big uh, Kindle fan cause I like to highlight things and be able to go back to them and stuff. But yeah. like the Austin Cleon books are kind of like that, where I like to flip yeah, yeah. through them and have the drawings and stuff. And th this feels like it's kind of cut from that mold. So I'm, uh, yeah, it, it, it is like that. In fact, the prototype that I made made actually had little doodles that I made for them that the, Viking publishers didn't like. <laughs> they said they were too homespun. Oh, I was going to say the doodles sound nice to me, but maybe yeah. we can. Uh, the, the collectors yeah. No, yeah. That's the whole point of it. They were homespun. They're little doodles. But they yeah. just, they they wanted to, they, well, maybe we can have a professional artist. And it's like, you don't get it. Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this, this is a little handy thing that uh, actually I like to look at too. Again, I wrote them to remind myself of my mm -hmm. own um, behaviors, like uh, uh, an example, one of the first ones that I jotted down was if you get invited to 
do go talk somewhere, go visit somebody, um, go out for a walk. That's six months, six months from now or more. Ask yourself, um, would I do this if it was tomorrow morning? Yeah. And it's right. Very, very, because it will be tomorrow morning soon enough and you'll have to answer the question. And so if you say no, then you say no now. And um, that's one way to control your, your time. Yeah. I like that one. So I'll, and one yeah. last one last thing, which yeah, is the last piece of advice, the second to last, which was um, your goal in life should be able you should be able to say, on the day before you die that you have fully become yourself, and that's my my goal, is that I want to unleash the genius of everybody born and yet born, by increasing the amount of technology and choices and opportunities in the world. So that in addition to the existing technologies like clean water and education, et cetera, that everybody would have, would be able to say on the day before the die, I've truly become myself. And that's, that would be, that would be my goal. That's what matters to me. What do you, what do you think most holds people back from doing that? You seem to have a real... Yeah. abundance think, mindset that we're capable of so much, right? I think a lack of imagination actually yeah. more. It's, I think that's the antidote to fear. It's not bravery, but imagination. To be able to imagine it differently, to be able to take, to imagine oh, that it's possible for things to work, to imagine how the good thing might happen because it's so, so easy to imagine all the problems and imagine all the ways that things break. Mm, mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm, if you're if you can only imagine things breaking, of course you're going to be afraid and worried mm-hmm. and upset. But you have to exercise some imagination to believe in how it could work. The unex, right. the unintended benefits, not just unintended um, you know, disasters. So um, so I'm yeah so I'm. I, I, I think if we can encourage the imagination of people to imagine good, complicated things that may take more than our own lifetime to accomplish. And so um, the, 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 one, the one thing that helps, maybe that's the answer to your question. Another thing that helps is to change the horizon because mm-hmm. we, we underestimate what can be accomplished over a decade. And some of these things require that kind of a time. They're not so. So bad things happen fast. Good things always yeah. happen slow, right? And so mm, that's cool, to man. to kind of we have to kind of extend our imagination to a longer term, kind of raise our horizon a little bit. And when you do that, then the inevitable little inevitable current problems are more easily seen to be overcome because we have a because we have a longer track and so the the ups and downs the volatility the the plus and minuses that are just a natural part um they, they can be overwhelmed by the by the gains in the long term and that's true investing right i mean it's like if you're on a regular basis investing a small amount the ups and downs of the market don't really concern you you're just concerned about that long-term um compounded interest right right that's why I haven't looked in a year. <laughs> yeah, I think let it go. Right? People who <laughs> yeah, check yeah, it all no. the time tend to do yeah. worse than the people who just leave it. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. 
it's a good good reminder. Yeah, if you zoom in on the graph, everything looks spiky. If you zoom out, everything kind of looks right, like right, 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 right. So, 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 so that is that's something that I think can help people um, cultivate that kind of optimism for mm-hmm. for the future is to take a longer view. Yeah, love that courage cool. to imagine things working out. Right. Yeah, a lot of the bad stuff you imagine never happens anyway. So exactly, that's that's yeah. some other thing happens that you weren't worried yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a real that's, failure. Yeah, that's a real failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And um, I think we're airing right around when the book comes out. So um, great. We'll, yeah, thank you. Yes, yeah, pleasure. Were great thank questions, you. and I love hearing about a little different perspective, your own work. Yeah, you know about, and and now I can appreciate a little bit more. Hey there, it's me, Aaron. And me, J.H. We are the hosts of Awkward Silences, and today we would love to hear from you, our listeners. So we're running a quick survey to find out what you like about the show, which episodes you like best, which subjects you'd like to hear more about, which stuff you're sick of, and more just about you, the fans that have kept us on the air for the past four years. Filling out the survey is just going to take you a couple of minutes, and despite what we say about surveys almost always sucking, this one's going to be fantastic. So userinterviews.com slash awkward survey, and thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. <laughs>